0: The language a little bit of the meditation tonight was one of of homecoming, come home into here-ness. And I love the phrase homecoming. I think one of the simplest ways to sense meditation is not that we're trying to get anywhere, experience anything, become anything different, but it's really a practice of letting go into what's here, coming home into this moment. And even now, if you just ask yourself, well, what does it really mean to just come home right here? Just check in on that question. What does it mean? There's a way in which we find that there has to be some letting go because usually there's something we're holding on to that's keeping us from here, some thought, some tightness in the body. So there's a kind of a letting go back here. We're coming home. Maybe just to read a verse from a Rumi poem I read often, which is a poem about a mouse and a fish. And they, one's saying, we meet at this appointed time, weekly or whatever. But the texts say, lovers pray constantly. Once a day, once a week, five times an hour is not enough. Fish like we are need the ocean around us. Do you pay regular visits to yourself? Do you pay regular visits to yourself? Don't argue or answer rationally. Let us die and dying reply. So what does Rumi mean when he says, let let us die? One of my kind of understandings of dying is that it's happening all the time, every, any moment we let go of a thought, we're dying to that thought form or reality, we're dying back into what's here. And that we have, through our lives, this kind of letting go of clinging, all the different forms of clinging. And in the deepest way we die to some idea of a small self. We all have a cherished notion, a very habitual story that we run about who we are and the only real freedom comes when we die to that, we release that to discover something bigger. So in a way the spiritual path is learning to die over and over to all, whatever small we're holding on to, whatever small we're holding on to. And it's a homecoming to the awakened heart. In the last weeks when we met the last few rounds we did a an evening on loving-presence and loving-kindness and we are going to end the year with that at the Solstice Celebration, I'll do a talk on loving-kindness. And And tonight is also a talk of the heart but it's really an exploration of the kind of letting go that brings us home into loving-presence. Really what is this path of transformation, how does it really work? one of the images that helps me a lot is kind of a sense of a cocoon that when we're controlling things tightly, it's like we're in this cocoon and we're keeping things as stable and comfortable as we can and we're protecting from what's difficult and we're holding on to what's easy and there's a static quality. It might feel secure, or it might not temporarily, but there's no real sense of intimacy or aliveness or freshness. And that any real transformation is like the chrysalis, like this breaking out of a a cocoon. There's always insecurity, there's not so much, there's not comfort, it's not familiar, we don't know what's going to happen, we're dying to what's familiar. There's a universal tendency to try to have that not happen. Just to say that the spiritual path is dying and opening out of the cocoon, and we each have the human conditioning to hold on really tight to what's familiar, to not want to face the unknown. I saw one little saying uh, I was hitchhiking the other day, and a hearse stopped. I said, No thanks, I'm not going that far. So anyway, we don't want to go that far. We think we do. We think we want to just open to the universal and to the truth of who we are and we get very comfortable. There's a wonderful teaching story from India that I periodically reflect on and I sometimes have shared here maybe about a year ago that I thought would be really nice to explore together tonight that's really a story about how we meet that edge and how do we die into the fullness and truth of who we are. It's a story about the basic elements of spiritual transformation. And the title is Nachi Keta and the Lord of Death. How many of you remember this story, Nachiketa? A couple of you? A handful, good. So it's an opportunity, if you're familiar with it, to drop it deeper and we'll do some meditations that go along with it. So I'll read parts of it. Um, it's a story of a, a young man in India who... It's the way he stands face to face with death. He, in his uh, adolescence and early 20s, he had several of his friends died and he really started sensing the brevity of life and he saw the shallowness that comes of worldly pursuits. And he was the son of a rich merchant and um, he was very appalled when his father... Um, was encouraged by Brahmin priests of the community to make a grand donation to the temple in order to ensure himself of a good rebirth in the afterlife. So the day arrived and his father said, I give my cattle, my gold, all of value to the priests of the temple. Then Nachiketa said, all you value? What about me, your son? So he publicly shamed his father. And his father was offended by these words. He says, I give you as well. I give you to death. So Nachiketa's eyes blazed and he said, I accept. That's the beginning. So he went to a remote spot in the deepest forest and sat waiting for death to show himself. For three days and three nights he sat there intent and motionless, determined to track down and stare into the eyes of death. And he sat through hunger, pain and exhaustion and at last he came to the land of Yama, the king of death, also known as the keeper of accounts. And there he was greeted by death's three assistants, pestilence, famine, and war, who explained that Lord Yama was away. He's out collecting rent. (laughs) That's fine, I'll wait, said Nachiketa. When death returned three days later, his assistants told him of this most unusual young man who had come seeking him. Now humans who hear of the Lord of Death usually run the other way. But this young man had been waiting steadily for three days. So Lord Yama went to Nachiketa and they greeted each other and then the Lord of Death apologized for keeping him waiting. Welcome to my kingdom. I see you are a man intent on his journey. Alas, I've kept you waiting. I will make up for the three days you waited by offering you a boon. You may choose three blessings for your journey." Okay? So during this time of waiting he had entered, Nachiketa had really entered into a very luminous state of mind and he recognized what he needed to move on. He knew the blessings he needed. So here's the first blessing. He said, the first boon Nachiketa requested was forgiveness for himself and all he touched. So this is the entrance to the spiritual path. Forgiveness for himself and all he ch- touched, he said, Let my father look upon me with the same joy as the day I was born. Nachiketa knew that only by releasing his past, by reconciling with all that was incomplete in his heart, could he continue his journey. He knew that he couldn't put his father out of his heart if he was really to unfold on this path with his full being. So the blessing was granted. The boon of forgiveness left Nachiketa's heart wide open and clear. And so Lord Yama looked at him and said, your first boon was a wise one, Nachiketa. Now what will be your second? Speak. And after a moment's silent reflection, Nachiketa said, I ask the blessing of inner fire. Okay, this is a second blessing. The first one this letting go, this forgiving. Inner fire. Now inner fire is, um, in the initiation it's not an effort to improve ourselves it's this boon of aliveness it's the energy that really inspires us it's, it's the um, the inner fire knows what matters feels a passion for awakening and that energy and passion is what really keeps us moving on the spiritual path this was again uh, this was granted and then finally Lord Yama Uh, looked at Nachiketa and said, okay, what's your final boon? And Nachiketa looked at death and said, I ask for that which is immortal. With some surprise, death reminded this audacious young man that he had come to his last boon and that he could choose anything. Lord Yama then conjured up visions of what Nachiketa might choose instead a harem of beautiful maidens to travel with on his journey, a royal golden war chariot with the world's fastest steeds, a palace which Nachiketa would be king. So Nachiketa viewed all of these and more. Why not choose among these? Death urged. But Nachiketa was determined, not easily led astray. So he said, will not all of these things that you've shown me return soon enough to your own kingdom, Lord Yama? And the Lord of Death smiled at Nachiketa's understanding and answered, yes, it's true. Then Nachiketa said again, Then I ask to know that which is immortal. At this, Lord Yama said, I will grant your third boon. He handed Nachiketa a simple yet extraordinary gift a mirror. He handed him a mirror. If you wish to find the secret of immortality, Nachiketa, I cannot help you more than this. You yourself must look directly into yourself then you must repeatedly ask yourself the greatest of all human questions. Who am I? Look beyond your body and your thoughts, Nachiketa. In this way you will find what you seek. So all beings must face Lord Yama, whether in meditation or in initiation in any way, And that's the question we ask, who's born and who dies? As Nachiketa gazed into the sacred mirror, he entered into the profound spiritual questioning that leads to the deathless. When everything he held was released and stripped away, a pure and timeless heart arose. Nachiketa was free. So I'd like to take the elements of this story and drop into them more and we'll do it and I'll speak some and I'll have you do some reflections because really all the archetypal parts of spiritual awakening are built into this story. And it begins with disillusionment, which is the way we all begin. We all have an idea of how it's supposed to be, an idea of what we want, an idea of what we think should happen. And then absolutely, life does not cooperate we get disillusioned, every one of us it happens in big ways in our life when we get that diagnosis that removes the idea of having a long time to live our relationship crashes or we're addicted and we realize we're just wasting our days they're just rolling by day after day and we're caught, we're hooked or we lose a job or perhaps the disillusionment is that our children leave and we realize, wait a minute What's really the meaning here? Or maybe we feel betrayed by a community or an organization or a teacher. It's inevitable that in some way something we depend on and think is going to hold us, work for us, love us, stay with us, doesn't. That's impermanence. So there is disillusionment. And like any experience, when we get disillusioned, we can either get either crusty and harden and get and kind of have it confirm the belief that this world's not trustworthy or I don't deserve and tighten up, or that disillusionment can break us open so we can touch more deeply into our spirit and discover really the resourcefulness that's here. This life is a test. It is only a test. If you were If it were real life, then you'd been told and you'd been given more specific information about where to go and what to do. (laughs) Somebody sent me that. Anyway, so there's no operating manual here. That we encounter these circumstances and we either tighten up or we grow. If you look into your own life, you can sense where the disillusionments were and what happened. I mean, I know for myself, I lived in an ashram for a number of years and had a spiritual teacher that while I was there not for the teacher but more for the practices, I had trusted him in some ways and there was a kind of betrayal that was really good for me because it basically put me into that place that either I was going to believe that I was unworthy or I was going to reach deeper into my own sense of trusting the spirit and heart that's here. It was a betrayal that forced me to trust myself more. I was thinking about my mom, my dad died about uh, four years ago, and how, I don't know if you call it disillusionment, but that was like the ground breaking under her and how much she has discovered another another level of her own uh, wisdom of being in these last years. She's become almost more of who she is. A friend of my son had, I was very very accomplished swimmer, or scholarships and a whole future based on it and had an accident, the whole thing was torn away. And he has become such a, a sensitive, uh, awake human in certain ways he would have never if that track had been continued. So we all have these times in our life where something dies and we either wake up or we go more into trance. And this is what happened with Nachiketa. Now the alchemy of the journey is that if we're going to wake up, certain things are needed if we're going to wake up. And he, his first blessing, the first thing that's needed if we're going to wake up is letting go of blame. We can't wake up, we can't open our hearts, we can't open into the fullness if our minds are fixated on a sense of what's wrong with me or what's wrong with you. Does that make sense? it's one of the deepest trances that we live in if we kind of scan our life that at any given moment that we're contracted in some sense of I'm not okay or you're not okay our world has become compressed we're not in touch with the vastness and the mystery and the goodness that's here So it's not easy because as every one of us knows in real relationships, as soon as we feel a sense of injury or threat, and we're designed this way, we scan to see where the cause is, we we scan for what's causing it, and then we attribute blame. And it's our way of trying to control things. I saw in a New Yorker a couple, a cartoon with a couple arguing He's saying, well, the Dalai Lama never had to put up with all your whining. <laughs> so, so, so just to say that forgiveness, letting go of blame is not indulgence, it's not condoning, it's not giving permission. There's another cartoon with two doctors that are lying beside a dying man's bed and one saying to the dying man, so could we have all your stuff after you die? And the subtitle is Doctors Without Boundaries, you know. (laughs) So forgiving doesn't mean we put down our defenses, we put down our boundaries, we let people walk all over us. In fact, you can forgive somebody. You can forgive somebody and completely be resolved to never again let that injury or injustice happen. The truth is, though, that when we are... Resentment is the replaying the stories of blame over and over again. And it blocks out truth. When we're replaying the story of blame, we can't see who the other person is because we're fixated on this narrow sliver of who they we think they are. And of course we contract because whenever we're blaming, we're living in a story of self that's victimized, a story of self that's oppressed, a story of self that has to get back. So the self-story is contracted and the story of others is contracted. The truth is, do you ever feel happy when you're blaming? Do you ever feel free? Do you ever feel whole? We know that it contracts us. But it's a life process because every one of us has been injured every one of us has been injured, so every one of us has that conditioning to harden and to in some way trying to affix blame on ourselves or on others. And you can't will forgiveness. It's a blessing that you can be willing to be present with blame. So that's the blessing, this willingness. And just by asking for the blessing of forgiveness, Nachiketa was willing. The reason it's so hard to forgive and it takes so much courage is because the very nature of forgiving is we're putting down the armoring that's protected us from the rawness. If we're really forgiving we have to feel the place in us that's vulnerable, that's been hurt, that's been betrayed. So one of my friends uh, a couple years ago I was walking through this process of, of divorce. His wife had left him for another man. And at first he was very, very in the trance of blame. I mean, it was, he was very, there was uh, rage and indignation and she screwed up their family and she betrayed him and so on. Then in time the blame went inward. I deserved it, I'm unworthy. You know, it's deep down, it wouldn't have happened if there wasn't something wrong with me. And so he was uh, doing meditation and he had that willingness just to keep paying attention. Because that's all we can do is this willingness. And all I suggested to him is try not to believe any story that she's wrong or that you're wrong and see what happens. Now this is the art of forgiveness is to just not believe our thoughts, to not believe our thoughts. And in the moment that we say, okay, I'm not going to believe the story of blame then we open into the aliveness and the rawness that's here. And for him, he opened into the deep fear of failure and underneath that, this huge grief of loss. See, when he was blaming, he couldn't feel that grief. He couldn't feel the sense of separation that he really... that was the anguish. When we stop blaming, we have to face what's here. For this man, when he was able to include that rawness and that vulnerability he discovered a kind of compassion that was a homecoming. So forgiveness is the gateway to homecoming. When we let go of the stories of blame we touch in first to the layers of vulnerability and then to that vastness of heart. Now meditation, when we sit here on Wednesday night or when you practice It's an ongoing practice of forgiving. Because to be present, we have to forgive or let go of what we don't like. We have to be here with what... the the sensations that are difficult. We have to be here with the emotions that are difficult. We have to forgive what's here. So I'd like to just take a moment to... Just explore forgiveness, just assuming we're going through this initiation tonight, these same steps that Nachiketa did, and just get a taste of each of the pieces. So sense your willingness to come home, to be here, to awaken just as Nachiketa really did this initiation with death there's this willingness there's this kind of purposefulness that says I'm willing to be here and the gateway is to forgive or let go of whatever we're pushing away And we can do that in a very immediate way by just scanning through your body and sense, is there any part of your physical being, any sensations that are difficult that in some way are asking for acceptance, just to be included in awareness right in this moment. And you might notice tightness in a muscle, or soreness, or maybe stomach ache, or maybe sleepiness. Maybe there's nothing to let go of, but just scan your body and sense is there anything that you can really more deeply allow, forgive, let be? If there's a difficulty that you encounter you might just whisper the words forgiven, forgiven, a kind of message of this too is allowed, is permitted is included so we forgive what's physically difficult you can scan in your emotions, your mood right now maybe there's some difficult mood fear or impatience boredom or sleepiness Just sense if there's anything that wants acceptance, that's emotional right now. To forgive is to let go of our judgment, or blame, and let be what's here. Again, you can whisper, forgiven, forgiven, if there's restlessness, or sadness, anxiety, irritation, widening the scan to sense your life right now and sense if there's any situation that you're at war with that turns you against another person, that brings the blame towards another. And in this first initiation on the spiritual path that we do over and over again, just sense a willingness to explore letting go, letting go of blame. What would you have to feel if you let go of your story of blame, of somebody being wrong? To forgive is to let go of the story of blame and have the courage just to feel what's here in the heart, upset, or wounding, hurt, fear. So this initiation starts with a certain courage to let go of our stories of wrongness, to not push anyone out of our heart. Most at the centers to not push our own being out of our heart. So we'll close this brief reflection by sensing, is there any way that you're at war with yourself right now? Any deep sense of the way you feel like you're failing, falling short, not doing it right? And sense if there's a willingness to begin to loosen the blame towards self, to let go a little. What would your experience be if you weren't making yourself wrong in any way right now? Just try that on. For these last few moments, sensing the spirit of a forgiving heart by just noticing whatever is going on inside you and gently bowing to it, forgiven, forgiven, letting everything and anything be just as it is. So the first blessing, the first gateway of spiritual transformation is this letting go of blame. And I just want to say it's not something we can do on command. But what we can do is have a real intention. It said that your intention to forgive, that kind of willingness to be present with the process, is, opens the door. It all happens from that. So if all that happens in as you leave with a little bit more of a conscious intention to not believe your stories of blame, it's an incredible gift. That is the first blessing on the path of spiritual transformation. The second blessing that Nachiketa received was inner fire. And inner fire is really the love and interest in life that allows us to give ourselves wholeheartedly to the path. You have to have that. There's a um, wonderful line from Robert Frost, he said, Something we were withholding made us weak until we found it was ourselves." Now, giving ourselves to the path, giving ourselves to spiritual transformation doesn't mean in some way we're foolish or we risk our life unnecessarily or we betray our sense of balance. There's a, a line that somebody wrote that goes, if at first you don't succeed, then skydiving isn't for you. You know? <laughs> so <laughs> I like these little one-liners. So the inner fire is this love of awakening. It's this love of life that really allows us to engage without holding back. It's, it's the sincerity And you know how it is when you meet someone that's sincere I don't mean kind of gooey, ooey, sincere but I mean sincere like from a really alive inner place there's... it's contagious there's something you trust about that person when they're sincere that's the inner fire it's when we remember what really matters D.H. Lawrence said, you know, it's not about getting what the self wants it's about realizing what the self really wants and that takes some diving. You know, if we watch ourselves through the day, our mind and attention is fixated and driven by narrow wants. I really want to get this checked off the list or I really want to get, you know, the, sh- the shopping and I really want this particular kind of bagel and I really want this person to respond this way. You know, it's, we, we get fixated in narrow ways. And so the inner fire is what drops us into where the real aliveness is so that at any given moment there's this remembering what I really want is to feel our connection, to feel the love that's here. What I really want is to live in truth right here. It's not like finding truth, it's inhabiting truth, it's being it. What I really want is to be real to not pretend. What I really want is not to hold back loving, not to wait for something. It's that quality that's the inner fire. So let me just ask you to reflect. Just take a moment to, you know, let your attention go inward. And this is just to take a a moment of sense in your life honestly, how you do hold back. You might sense in relationship, without blame towards yourself, how is it that you hold back from loving the ones that are close? How do you hold back from expressing your creativity? From engaging in your work and in serving, how do you hold back? How do you hold back from appreciating beauty? How do you hold back from really giving yourself to the fullness of a spiritual path? And just to bring it right present, is there any way you're holding back from being fully here right in this moment? Just scan and sense. We begin to rekindle the inner fire when we notice the habits of holding back. Rumi puts it this way, he says, gamble everything for love. Gamble everything for love. If you're a true human being, half-heartedness doesn't reach into majesty. Gamble everything for love. If you're a true human being, half-heartedness doesn't reach into majesty. You set out to find God, but then you keep stopping for long periods at mean-spirited roadhouses. (laughs) Gamble everything for love Okay, so opening your eyes So just take a little bit more time with this And I love this piece of, you know, when we talk about spiritual initiation That it's not always spoken so much about in Dharma talks and so on That there really is this fire which is our natural interest and love But somehow or other, early in our childhood, we get too civilized and we get too obedient or too worried about what others are going to think and something gets deadened. John O'Donohue says, we are so busy managing our life that we forget this great mystery we're involved with. Gamble everything for love. I love that expression. So how we hold back. And it's important to watch it because... What I found in my life is as soon as I really get awake to ways I hold back, then I wake up out of the, the trance of holding back so much. And one of the big ways is that we buy into stories of our limitation, that we don't have what it takes to be intimate, that we can't really be close to someone. We believe that. Or we believe that we don't have really what it takes to be happy. And we just tell ourselves these stories over and over again. We tell ourselves stories about what we have to do to be okay. That today I have to do this to have this day be okay. We have this have to idea. And then we hold ourselves back by these habits of numbing and distracting ourselves. And I think we do it a lot with email and the internet. And we do it, of course, with food. And we do it with mental obsession. And we do it with sleep. It's, we, oh, it's when we're overdoing. But we have our habits. And then we hold ourselves back by getting lost in our minds, figuring things out. We disengage from this inner fire when we get caught in this constant sense of, oh, trying to figure this out and figure that out. It's called Zen and the art of reading all the books about Zen, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, it's like we're, we're looking through this window and observing our life and trying to figure out things and... but not inhabiting so much. We hold ourselves back because we're trying to present a self rather than be. And then, as I mentioned, this brings us back to the first one, we hold ourselves back because we get trapped in trying to make ourselves and others different in our stories of blame. So there's another word for not holding back and that's devotion. And again we don't hear that so much in a lot of the Buddhist talks but that the inner fire is a sense of devotion, that we devote ourselves, we surrender ourselves to what we love, to being awake, that it's not a church on Sunday thing. And the more we're aware of what we love, the more every moment of our life becomes woven into the fabric of waking up. It matters every moment. It matters how we make our breakfast and eat our breakfast and how we read the newspaper and how we greet the first person we greet of the day and how we put our head on the pillow and how we drift off. It matters that we're at home in those moments. Rolka says this, and this is really about a practice of remembering what we cherish. And and I encourage it, if there's a daily practice that you just weave in and weave in and weave in, it's that question, okay, what really matters to me? Because that brings us back to that inner fire. Any moment that we ask and we sincerely pay attention, we start coming home again. So Rilke, he says, You see, I want a lot. Perhaps I want everything. The darkness that comes with every infinite fall and the shivering blaze of every step up. You have not grown old and it is not too late to dive into your increasing depths where life calmly gives out its own secret. You have not grown old And it is not too late to dive into your increasing depths where life calmly gives out its own secret. We tend to fixate our attention outward. We tend to fixate narrowly. And so this second blessing is that inner fire, that devotion, that says, this moment matters. Come home, be fully here, in love, now. So take a moment, again, we'll practice. So this is the second initiation. Again, since this is you meeting Lord Yama, the Lord of death. Whatever change is going on in your life is Lord Yama whatever challenge, whatever beauty it's this changing life and this intention to wake up in the middle of it and the first of the blessing is to let go of anything that we're pushing away to really open to what's here And the second blessing is this inner fire to remember what matters and so in these moments just as we began the class just to sense really your aspiration for the spiritual path it's a beautiful practice as we come winding down to the close of a year and as we enter the solstice what matters this inner fire by really giving yourself not holding back from what's right here spiritual path isn't in the future it's here letting this life matter Sanaciketa had the blessings of forgiving, opening his heart the blessing of that fire, that passion for waking up for living it fully the third of the blessings, and that was the mirror and this blessing is really, um, his quest was for the timeless for that which is beyond time and space, that which is immortal and his gift was this mirror of looking into his own being The message being that we discover the timeless and that which is immortal when we look into the depth of awareness itself. Now, it's not always, it doesn't always feel that way. We turn and we look inward, and what we find often are many layers of um, neurosis and reactivity and stuff that doesn't feel very timeless at all. <laughs> Lily Tomlin said it this way. She said, I always knew I wanted to be somebody, but I guess I should have been more specific, you know? <laughs> you know, where I first started practicing up at the Insight Meditation Society in, in Barrie, they, have, uh, they had a, a sign-up saying, uh, self-knowledge is not necessarily good news, you know. <laughs> because isn't it true? We sit and we meditate and we come across pettiness and obsession and fixation, and we, all this stuff. And so the mirror naturally shows us our humanness. And if we have the willingness to forgive and to stay in that presence we discover the presence, which really is the mystery of being, which is timeless. In being present, we discover presence. That's what's timeless. This is the uh, Zen Master Dogen. The human mind is absolute freedom as its true nature. There are thousands upon thousands of students who have practiced meditation and obtained this realization. Do not doubt the possibilities because of the simplicity of the method. If you can't find the truth where you are, where else do you expect to find it? We have the delusion of thinking that truth or freedom or that which is timeless is down the road or out there. So it's not our uh, tendency to sense that this very awareness, this very awareness that's here is as vast and beautiful and mysterious as anything in the universe. There's nothing more out there than the awareness that we look into. The mirror, when we really look into the mirror, when we really look into awareness we discover the universe and we discover that which is timeless. Do you make regular visits to yourself? One of the teachings that I've really loved and reflected on a lot recently is, isn't it true that what you most long for is already here? And when we take that, that inquiry You know, what do we really long for? That which is timeless, love, mystery. When we take that and we say, isn't it already here? Initially we go here. Well, what's here is restless, uncomfortable. But again, when we inhabit here-ness, I mean, when we really arrive, and this is really our training, what we discover is what we've longed for. That it is here and it's only here. It's not anywhere else. And until it becomes our habit to pause and say, wait a minute, it's not out there what I'm wanting. It's in the here It's in this presence. It's in this heart. It's in this silence that's listening right now. It's in this openness that's receiving. So all spiritual traditions come down in their deep dharma, their deep path to this inquiry really of who am I? Can we look in the mirror? Can you right now listen to these words and say, who's really listening? Who is really listening? Who is aware right now? And we find when we look into the mirror that we can't find a thing. You know, the Tibetans say that the supreme seeing is the seeing of no thing. There's this mystery, this awakeness that doesn't have anything solid. This is a poem called Talocho Lake by David White. And I'm reading this poem because I feel like it brings together the elements of this initiation, this spiritual transformation, that we let go of the ways that we're pushing away others or ourselves, that we feel the love for life, that we feel that inner fire, and then we look deeply into what's true. Okay, Tolocho Lake, and then we'll close In this high place, it is as simple as this. Leave everything you know behind. Step toward the cold surface and say the old prayer of love and open both arms. Those who come with empty hands will stare into the lake astonished there in the cold light reflecting pure snow, the true shape of your own face those who come with empty hands will stare into the lake astonished there in the cold light reflecting pure snow the true shape of your own face So I want to tell you the very end of the Nachiketa story, okay? At the end we see a young man bowing to Lord Yama a final time, totally at peace then as if by magic the landscape of the kingdom of death changes to the spring rice fields of his native India. In this a last secret is revealed to him. Death and birth are not separate. Renewal comes by dying. When we have faced death and aloneness we are unafraid to live and life flowers under our feet. Everywhere we go becomes holy ground. Nachi Keda knew this in his heart and walked off towards his home to embrace his father and start a new life." So just take a moment to close your eyes making again a visit to ourselves and just let this be a sacred pause A way of just honoring your own spirit by being here. Again, letting go of anything that's holding you back. Any judgment, any blame. Letting go into what's right here. This is the inner fire, this wholeheartedness just to be right here. Looking to the awareness itself that's here. This empty awake presence. This empty, edgeless heart. Totally at home in what is. I close together with the prayer of metta of loving kindness that all beings everywhere might awaken to realize and live from the truth of their being that all beings may be filled with loving presence held in loving presence that all beings might touch a natural and great peace there be peace on earth may there be peace on earth May there be peace everywhere. May all beings awaken and be free. Namaste. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.